Good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of This Week's Episode. I am your host, Evan Goldstein, and with me as always is the breathtaking Karen Randazzo. This was the fuck-up? Not your 20-year affair, not all the lies you told me. One night with the woman you spent 40 years with in the house where we raised our children, that's the fuck-up? That's fucked up. (laughs) And the awe-inspiring Chris Randazzo. Activate inflatable danger trunks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so jealous at the beginning of this show. We here on this week's episode talk television, and we get spoilery. So... If you do not want the new version of Danger Mouse, uh, Powers, or Grace and Frankie spoiled, please go watch them, come back, and we'll chat about them. So, in the first half of this show, we are going to be talking our specific episodes, and in the second half, we're going to be doing, I looked at it as our favorite finales. So, we're going to kick it off with uh karen mm-hmm. we did some netflix watching we did i've been well i've been waiting for this show to come back ever since it, it premiered last year and i gobbled it up awesome i mean you you i had never watched this show and then you told me to to that you were going to do it this week and I, and I checked out the specific episode that you are going to be talking about and when you told me that you laughed at a specific joke for I think you said forty minutes. Not exactly a hundred percent sure on that time frame. No, no, it, it was just a full minute. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it wasn't forty. It's a funny show. It's not that funny. Okay, I, <laughs> because I laughed at a couple of points. Not, not. I didn't buckle over for forty minutes. So I was curious as to what you thought that was. Show's not even forty minutes long. <laughs> I, mean, like, I know. Like I thought. Did you think about it later on? Is she accumulating all of them together? So talk to us. What do you got? Okay, so I think that there's a lot of people in the world not watching this show, which is a shame, but when I went to look for information about it, there wasn't a lot, um, which no. tells me nobody's watching or talking there's about no, it, which is a bummer. There's no synopsis for this episode. Maybe I should be one of those internet people and go write it. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> um, so... For people who don't know what the show is, uh, it's Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin play the title characters. Uh, Grace uh, is Jane Fonda. She's an uptight wasp who is married to Robert, uh, played by Martin Sheen. Uh, and they have two daughters named Mallory and Brianna. Um, one's married with two kids and one's kind of a disaster. And then Frankie is the ultimate hippie. Um, she's married to Saul, who's played by Sam Waterston. I love and Sam Waterston. <laughs> he's fantastic, and, and apparently I'm into watching shows with him lately. <laughs> well, is he in any bad shows, really? No. Very, very true. Not that I know of. So the way you know Frankie is the ultimate hippie is that they have two kids. Uh, one is their natural child by birth who is named Coyote. <laughs> and the other is uh, is a kid they adopt. Well, he's grown now, but they adopted him as a child from Africa, and his name is Bud. It's short for... A long African name I'm not going to pronounce. <laughs> oh, damn it, because I see it printed in front of me. I wanted to, I, <laughs> I wanted to hear. So Noir this is... Bud Like? Bud Ike? <laughs> if, if you want to go take a swing at it, you be my guest. No, I'm good. Um, <laughs> so their families were connected over the 40 years that they've, both these couples have been married. The husbands have been good friends. They're business partners. They're both lawyers. Um, and the wives are 
polar opposites don't really like each other. And at this, when, when this series begins, that all falls apart because the husbands decide to announce to their families that they're gay. They've been having an affair for 20 years and they're leaving their wives because they'd like to get married to each other now that it's legal. (laughs) 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 Ta-da! So season one is a big, you know, everybody processing that in their own way. The wives for like, you know, they, uh, the families own a beach house together. And so both wives end up going there when this big event happens and, uh, they end up kind of staying there together and becoming friends and helping each other through these things, despite the fact that they're totally different people. Uh, the husbands are kind of like, oh, we feel we they're balancing feeling guilty about, you know, blowing up their family with finally being happy. And, uh, and, and honestly, the, kids, the cutest couple I've ever seen on television. They are. They love each other so much. It's adorable. And even the kids are like involved in the story of like sort of, you know, dealing with things things you think about your parents that you know just do things you thought about your parents your whole life that turn out to be like completely not true so the uh first season ended on a cliffhanger sort of because in the uh, days before the wedding for robert and saul um they were packing up frankie and saul's house to sell it and for her to move out for them both to move out and um in a very emotional moment of like oh we've you know we've lived here our whole lives and we raised our kids here frankie and saul fall into bed together (laughs) (laughs) which is not something you would expect to happen with a character who recently came out as gay but (laughs) it happened um so he decides he has to tell robert before they get married and as season two opens we see saul going home to tell this news to robert and when he gets home, he finds out Robert is, he finds Robert collapsed in the kitchen and he had a heart attack. So he doesn't tell him. <laughs> so the season opener, we see like, it's just like everybody dealing with the chaos of that and like, what do we do? And Saul still wants to tell Robert even after he, you know, it's, it's so clear that he's going to be okay. And they're like, no, you can't. His heart condition, you don't want to kill him or anything. <laughs> the family ends up at the, they they decide they find out he has to get a bypass and um and he decides like i'm gonna go into the surgery i'm like 70 i don't know what's gonna happen so i want to marry saul in the hospital before that happens so they make that happen and it's really sweet that was the first episode (laughs) (laughs) i i told you guys when i started i had a lot to say about this (laughs) But the, it, there's so, this story is so deep that you have to like know a certain amount going in. So hopefully I pulled that off. Anyway, so, so episode two, we start, we find out that Robert's surgery went okay. Um, and the reality of the situation just smacks everybody in the face. There's uh, insurance issues that have to be dealt with. Saul's now been at the hospital for like a couple days straight and he needs like stuff he needs to you know be prepared to like stay there longer while robert recovers and uh the this whole heart attack thing happened like two days before the their actual wedding was supposed to happen so now that needs to be canceled which is a lot of things so everybody kind of like pitches in to take care of all of those things 
some more begrudgingly than others. Exactly. <laughs> so Saul, uh, it's, it's Sam Waterston. He's has to uh, deal with the insurance. He doesn't want like the insurance company is trying to rip them off, and he doesn't want Robert to find out about this. He's like, I have to take care of this before he wakes up from his surgery. So he has he has a whole plot where he deals with the billing department, and they are giving him the runaround and thank you, America, um, and your healthcare system for. <laughs> giving us this plot where they called in special surgeon during his procedure and like without this guy robert would have died but the guy's not on their insurance and he's so he's not covered and nobody consulted anybody because there wasn't time but (laughs) so there's this exorbitant amount of money thirty five thousand (laughs) dollars yes and if if you think this doesn't happen in real life america then i i bless you for being so lucky as to not have to have dealt with it in your life um so he ends up talking to a bunch of people who are other disgruntled people at the billing department uh people who are being overcharged and discovers this whole like pattern that the hospital has of like overcharging people and running insurance scams and threatens to uh to sue the hospital and uh basically gets that all taken care of so that's you know i like i like the way he he, the first interaction was i that that weird guy behind the counter explaining like if he doesn't pay they're they're just the hospital's gonna sue him and Mm -hmm. then the next time we see them interacting with he's in a suit his eyebrows are all brushed nicey nice and he's got a plan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's very realistic to the uh, sort of thing, like, if we're, where you're still, like, so frazzled from, like, a huge emotional thing that just happened to you, and you go and try and deal with a serious issue. You can't deal with it. You're just like, oh, my God, what what is going to happen? What am I going to do? And then if you go away think about it and calm down you realize oh wait i'm a lawyer fuck you (laughs) i didn't realize he was a lawyer up until the point in time he started that little diatribe so yeah he said something about like this isn't really my area but i'm thinking i could branch out into class action like what do you think (laughs) uh so then we get the wives who have gone back to the home of the husbands the joint home of the husbands to get stuff for for them that they need from home um grace uh comes in she's very it's it was it's her and robert's house that their guys have now moved into so it used to be her house and now she's walking into it and she's really upset by the fact that like everything's different all Saul's stuff is there it doesn't go with like all the stuff like she did all the decorating and just nothing makes sense to her and Frankie's upset because even though she she doesn't really like she got dragged along on this she's like I I just want to distance myself from this and um she keeps like you know thinking of things on the list like oh he needs his reading glasses well they're under this pillow or he needs these pills those are in this cabinet and <laughs> she keeps getting annoyed with herself for knowing these things she keeps going knowledge leave my brain <laughs> never return (laughs) (laughs) so um they both kind of over the course of being there uh you know grace realizes that the reason that they're decorating is the way it is is because that they don't care where the stuff is as long as it's comfortable for them to be in in their home together and uh that's not the way their relationship was when she was married to him 
Right. And uh, Frankie realizes that she knows all this stuff because even though she wants to distance herself from Saul, she she still cares about him a lot. And so this kind of just both makes them realize that if this is how they feel, they need to take a step back and not be as involved in the lives of these guys anymore. So they send all the stuff back to the hospital with the neighbor and Grace is going to take Frankie home and take care of her. <laughs> and uh, there's this cute bit where uh frankie wants to steal some of the wedding gifts and grace is like you can't do that <laughs> and then by the end of it uh they both end up helping themselves to some of the wedding gifts to sort of payment for all the stuff they've been through and like being supportive through this whole emergency when really they should be able to just you know <laughs> run away and oddly not enough have anything to do the, with it the things that they stole not really on the same level because those little salt and pepper shakers that Frankie took that looked like corns of the cop, they were adorable. And the fucking like $300 Vitamix that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of gives you a picture of like the differences in the two characters. Like these are the two things that these two people would really like to have. <laughs> Makes sense. I, okay. Now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a nice, um, a nice demonstration of the two of them kind of, Leaning on each other, learning from each other. That that's really what's at the heart of this show is, you know, the the way they two the the two of them, despite their differences, kind of are really there for each other and they're the new people in their lives that they care about when it used to be their husbands. The thing that really made me laugh though was the kids dealing with canceling the wedding. <laughs> so they decide that, you know, three of the kids are going to make calls to cancel the wedding and they're going to leave one of them in the hospital room with Robert in case he wakes up. And that's Coyote. <laughs> so that that doesn't, you know, is not a tremendously important part of the story that if Martin Sheen wakes up a couple of times, kind of delirious from the medications and just says ridiculous things like Ella, Ella Fitzgerald said I could have a hot dog. Where's my hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> he starts scatting. <laughs> That's really that. That was what I thought you were laughing at. That and the cigar comment, where he's like, uh, "Yeah, she didn't steal your cigars either. Sorry about that." And then just keep rattling <laughs> off the, everything that he did wrong to the poor man. <laughs> right, right. Um, it wasn't that. No? Uh, <laughs> but they, so they he wakes up a couple of times saying ridiculous things, and then on the third time that he wakes up, he starts to ask him coyote really serious questions because he's a recovering drug addict mm -hmm. he asks some really serious questions about his addiction and like they have this really touching moment between them where they really you know coyote realizes like even though this was always uncle robert in my life he's never like was my dad he's like you can treat me as a father and you can always come to me with problems and it was really sweet moment between um coyotes played by ethan embry and he I love really... Ethan Embry. He's so innocent looking. <laughs> he does a really fantastic job. And like, you should, you know, go back and watch season one because there are some things that you find out about him that uh, happened because of his addiction that are seriously entertaining. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so the other three are making these phone calls. Uh, the older sister, Mallory, takes the uh, wedding vendors. She's going to. She's going to call them and get as much money back as she can from everything. And her sister, like, kind of challenges her on it. She's like, no, you know, 
I, I'm way better being cutthroat than you are. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm way nicer. And you, you see a nice little, like, friendly, competitive moment between the sisters. Really sweet. I like the, the announcing that Bud was doing. <laughs> yes. one sister would say something and he's like, ooh, it's getting real. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so the other two are going to split up calling the guests. And, you know, um, Brianna's just like, Tearing them down one after the other, like quick calls, really like cutthroat information. And Bud is stuck on the phone with like distant relatives trading small talk and his calls are taking forever. <laughs> so, um, so Brianna's like fed up with this finally. She's like, okay, this is ridiculous. You're taking forever. We're just going to send out an email blast. And she pulls out her phone and starts dictating an email. And she's like, wedding canceled. Don't come. <laughs> to whom it may concern. <laughs> to whom it may concern. <laughs> wedding off. <laughs> and he grabs the phone away from her. He's like, you can't do that. You have to be a human being. You have to, like, you know, be nice about these things. And she's like, what did she say? I don't even Oh, remember. she told him to... Get to the facts. She's like, you got to get to the facts. You, you, come on, you know, don't be a pussy. <laughs> so he's like, just had enough of this whole situation. And he grabs her phone away from me. She's like, oh, you want me to get to the facts? Get to the facts? Okay, fine. And he dictates the following into her phone. <laughs> Dear beloved wedding guests, Saul fucked Frankie. <laughs> and Robert had a heart attack because he eats sausage for every meal. That's not a gay thing. He really eats a lot of sausage, but everything's <laughs> fucked because they got married anyway. Wedding canceled. Send gifts. Fuck you. <laughs> then Brianna tries to steal her phone back. It gets dropped and you hear the like swoosh of the message sending. I damn near died. <laughs> when he said they're both staring at the phone and she just like bats it to the ground. <laughs> Like he picks it up like if he picks it up then the message will suddenly not be sent and she just smacks it out of his hand. Oh my god. Nobody was home to see this. And I was just like my poor neighbors maybe heard me like just gasping for air screaming laughing out loud. <laughs> um, Excuse me. This gets wrapped up when eventually we learn that the message did go through. But thank you to autocorrect, it got, like, translated into complete garbled nonsense that didn't make any sense. So none of the information that you wouldn't want to get out there got out there. All I remember is that it did say, at some point, Vin Diesel. Yes, and I Vin Diesel got in there somewhere. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out what got translated to Vin Diesel. <laughs> Could not really either, but... Oh, so, yeah, the show makes me laugh. It's great. It has great actors, great characters, real emotions, real reactions to, like, real things, real good relationships. <laughs> if you think this is, like, this is a show about people in their 70s, and if you think that that's not for you, you're probably wrong. Uh, it has as many relatable characters for people in our generation as it does for people in that generation, and... Normally, I think people who are in the older demographic, their representation on TV is just these 2D characters. They're, they're just kind of grandparents or they're cranky old people and they don't like 
they don't have their own stories. Their stories are in relation to whatever the main character's stories are. And here they, they are the main characters and they're real people. And you get to see like what's going on in their lives and how they feel about things. And it's not really a perspective you see a lot of places. So I, it's, it's really interesting and it's really funny and they really care about these people. So watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a really cute show. I thought Lily Tomlin did a, a really she like did a great job being that like way out there hippie like she was trying like at one point in time she was trying to get like cheese it's from a snack machine and they got caught on the coil and she tried to like will them down as opposed to banging on the machine or something (laughs) she's like focusing her energies i mean what if you need to know anything about this character what you need to know is that when she uh for you know when they first find out about their husbands being gay her response is to go to this beach house and go on like a peyote trip (laughs) now that makes sense i understand that tells you a lot about this character all right, great. I, I, I enjoyed the episode that I watched and I will I heard I've heard about the show for a while because I listened to another podcast that June is on that Brianna. Other on. podcasts. Yeah, I know. There are more out there. Um, oh, June Diane Raphael. Yeah. She's con she every at the end of every one of those episodes she plugs it. I'm like, I really should watch that show. Netflix does good shows. And this is a Netflix original, so This is a Netflix original. It is good stuff. Everything's yeah. available. It's definitely a show that I'd like to watch one of these days. Just, you know, obviously, time. Oh, yeah, time. The lack thereof. Indeed. So, with that being said, you did find some time to check out a Netflix show. I Whoa. did. I did find some time to check out a, a new Netflix original series that I was incredibly now, hyped about. Can we about. say that? Can we say it's it, a new Netflix original series? Because I, I don't really understand exactly the history of this, because you start it up, and it says a Netflix original series in conjunction with a uh, CBBC. Mm-hmm. It was, um, a, it was a year... Well, here, just go ahead. Start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, it's at the very least, it's something that Netflix was at least tertiary and tertiary, tertiarily involved with. I mean, do you know more about this than I do, Evan? That I, used to, I used to watch Danger Mouse back when I was a, a kid. And oh, yeah, me too. It was... I think it was on 13. It was on Nickelodeon when I watched it. Oh, uh, I, I watched it a long time ago. Like, it's 1981. So, Jesus, I was five, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this was, I, for, like, I have memories of this show. They are not fond nor bad. I just remember seeing it and, and, and the intro and outro music. I just think they just got the rights for it to, do some more episodes. Oh, well, it is, it is, it is most definitely a reboot. I, I am a huge fan of Danger Mouse. When I was a very little kid, uh, the Danger Mouse was one of those shows that Nickelodeon had back when Nickelodeon didn't have a ton of programming. Um, and there was like, it should, Danger Mouse eventually moved on to Count Duckula as well. And, uh, Banana Man was usually <laughs> teamed up with Danger Mouse in the, uh, in the time slot. But I adored this show. And it's something that my parents used to watch with me because it has, it has a lot of very fast uh, British humor in it, and uh, it's it, it is definitely a cartoon that is good for adults and good for kids. Um, and several years ago, uh, they started releasing these on DVD, and I scooped every single one of them up so that I could show them to my kids someday. Because I never in a million years thought that 
one, Danger Mouse would be available through a streaming service, and two, that it would get revived in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, uh, nearest I can tell, Netflix teamed up with uh, CBBC to make a new Danger Mouse series, and it's really, really good. <laughs> like, absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I <laughs> Like I said, I freaking loved Danger Mouse when I was a kid, and uh, Danger Mouse is kind of like a... Um, I guess it's like a cross between James Bond and Mighty Mouse. Yes. Uh, so I you have this <laughs> secret agent, Danger Mouse, who is a mouse uh, with an eye patch, and his uh, sidekick, Penfold, who is one of the best cartoon characters in the history of the universe. <laughs> and they work for another ha- hamster in the, uh, the, the miniature animal secret service or whatever. Uh, Colonel K, and the uh, villain is a toad, Baron Von Greenback, and... The original series holds up. It holds up so well today. Like I can still watch it. I watched it not even that that long ago. Um, within the last year or so, I was watching a bunch of episodes in a row, and it's it's still funny. It is still just has such a great sense of humor to it. So I recently, just very recently, found out that this was a thing that was happening. Uh, this new Danger Mouse cartoon, and so I, you know. Turned on my Netflix account and I found the episodes and I fired up the first episode and the first thing that strikes me is that the intro music is fantastic. It is, it takes a similar page out of like, uh, say the current iteration of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they did a modernized version of the original Ninja Turtles theme uh, from the old cartoon, uh, except it's very hip hop uh, related and. I like where it's coming from to a certain extent, but I don't really like the song. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is such a great reimagining of the original Danger Mouse theme. It's ridiculous. It's it's just got this great, cool, you know, British rock slash a little bit of surf rock angle to it. It's it's so good. It's it's the exact same song, just re-recorded and and slightly modernized in the in the way that it sounds. It's fan friggin' tastic. <laughs> So, uh, a couple of things really struck me when I was watching the first episode. Um, thing number one is that Danger Mouse had a very, uh, a very particular style to it. It used a lot of, um, used a lot of photographs in, like, mixed in with the actual animation. Like, you know, the, the backdrop was in London and the backdrop was often either, you know, very, very detailed paintings or actual photographs. Like, almost similar to, like, an old Monty Python bit, the way that some of the, the backgrounds were animated. Mm-hmm. And, the new series uses a very similar style. It uses a lot of photograph, photographic backgrounds, but it, it you know kind of maps them over 3D images and whatnot. So it has a similar effect, but using modern uh, animation techniques, and it looks gorgeous. Everything about this show is 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 stunningly gorgeous. It's just such a bright and colorful and wonderfully animated show. Uh, the other thing that really struck me straight away is how great the voice actors were. Um, the the voice actors. Almost all of them sound spot on to their original voice actors. Like they're doing really, really excellent imitations of the way these characters originally sounded. Uh, with the exception of Stiletto, Stiletto sounds pretty different. Stiletto, Stiletto is a crow character who was uh, Baron von Greenback's kind of lackey, um, but he still talks the same way. He still says things like "See, sí, Baroni," and <laughs> that always makes me happy to call him Baroni because uh, in in my my house growing up, it was a uh, uh, a way of saying excuse me was frequently pardoni baroni as a quote from danger mouse so i mean danger mouse is so ingrained in my life growing up because my my mom loved pinfolds so much 
And what's not to love? He is fantastic. So, uh, visually, audibly, this show struck all the right notes straight out of the gate. So, it then came down to the writing itself, which, huzzah, turns out to be fantastic. Also turns out that one of the, uh, one of the head writers on this show is one of the head writers from the original show. So, the really quick-witted British humor is all very much still intact. The first episode, um involved uh baron von greenback going straight uh, and everyone believed him and he made a series of robots called safety mouse as opposed to danger mouse uh and they're they're made of c- a metal called convenientium <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic uh, there's lots of little uh, little fourth wall breaking and, and and stuff like that which is which is great um Obviously, Baron von Greenback uh, is still very much evil and makes the robots turn on everybody. And you could tell uh, by his mwahahahahas every once in a while. <laughs> you, you very much can. And uh, there was a lot of like great jokes about that. Like, Colonel K can now like project these uh, holograms of himself <laughs> to Danger Mouse. And there's a lot of really goofy hologram jokes towards the end. And when the Queen cuts off his arm, that made me laugh. <laughs> 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 oh god well, i liked there there was a, a one shot in the background where there was like a, a building and there was an ad for a computer company called pear yes i saw that. the apple logo <laughs> except it was a pear it's just lots of really it, it's so delightful it is such a cartoon and it and it it works on that same way that Danger Mouse did, and a lot of like you know Gendy Tartakovsky stuff, like Powerpuff Girls or Dexter's Lab, where you can look at it. It's a lot faster than Tartakovsky's work, but it's um, it's the kind of thing that a kid could definitely enjoy just from the uh, the sheer how awesome it looks. And there's a lot of really great action in it now. There yeah. wasn't a lot of great action in the original show just because of animation budgets. Right. But now you can really get to see Danger Mouse cut loose and do some awesome action things now. Um, he open, also- they open with him in space fighting <laughs> aliens and then re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. I liked the uh the the lights off uh fight scene where they turn out the <laughs> Wait, lights and the lights see, on, like... the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see the eyeballs like like in an yeah. old cartoon and like Danger Mouse says, a, Oh, we're doing this old school <laughs> Pink Panther style funny. Oh god, it was so great. It was just so great. And so yeah, everything about the uh, the the premiere uh had me ridiculously happy. Um, and then today I got to watch the second episode right before the show, um, where, uh, Penfold wanted a vacation and, uh, Danger Mouse agreed to give him a vacation. Like they, he really wanted to go on a holiday that didn't involve secret missions and monsters and whatnot. And, uh, so they went on a holiday, they went on a cruise ship and, uh, Baron von Greenback hatched some sort of scheme where he had this machine that combined sea life into like one monster (laughs) (laughs) one of the monsters was the hammerhead pronopus (laughs) 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 made me so happy (laughs) oh but like so colonel calls danger mouse while he's while he's on holidays and he's like no i owe this to pinfold i can't i can't break away from my holiday um Penfold still says oh crumbs which makes me so so happy what a what a great thing oh crumbs um but uh yeah he he asked uh well what if what about the other can't you call in danger mackerel 
<laughs> and one other one, I can't remember the other one was, but they actually wound up showing Danger Mackerel at one point in the episode. He's just flopping like a dead fish on this pier, and he falls off the water into a whale's mouth. And that was the scene. <laughs> oh, probably my favorite gag from this episode was... um. Uh, after he Danger Mouse was suggesting other characters to the Colonel to, to call in to help save the day, um, he, he Colonel was saying that it, all these attributes that the characters needed, and one of the lines was, um, "I need somebody who doesn't know the meaning of the word fear." And Danger Mouse says, "Fear is that French?" <laughs> <laughs> so not only a great French joke, but also he doesn't know the meaning of the word fear. <laughs> Which is just fantastic. This show is so good. Watch, watch it. I'm gonna watch every single one of these ones and and hope to the heavens above that it just it continues to get more episodes. I really can't wait to show it to my kid. I'm curious if he'll he'll find it as entertaining as I did. I showed him oh maybe six months to a year ago. I showed him some of original Danger Mouse, but he wasn't really. He thought it was cool for a couple of minutes, but he doesn't really do a lot of TV stuff anyway. Right, but. Uh, I I would love to show him this, and and I would love it if he liked it because I love this show. I love this new one. I love the old one. It's this is how you do a revival. This is how you do it. Um, because Danger Danger Mouse is one of those properties that's like kind of obscure. I think it was obviously bigger and you know overseas, mm-hmm. but um, it's you know doing a reboot of it in this way is it's it's almost like they're just making new episodes, but at the same time they're kind of not because it is. There, there is one very intrinsic difference to this show is that in the original series, they were the size of, you know, mice and whatnot, and they lived in London with humans. Mm-hmm. And in this show, it's just like London is just populated by people-sized animals. Right, right. Um, but there was also this great fourth wall breaking moment that acknowledged that at the end of the first episode where uh, Danger Mouse was reinstated as a secret agent and they gave him a new base, which looks like <laughs> the original base from the original series which was disguised as like, I don't know what it is, like a little post box or something, but now it's the size of a building. <laughs> and they mentioned like, and no one will be able to tell what it is. It's, uh, it, it'll blend in perfectly. It was just, it was this great little they, throwaway they joke. Reference for, to like, and I'm sure the writers will have an explanation for that. <laughs> yes. I knew when I, 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 I watched the, the pilot or the, the first episode today and I knew like this, the show, was going to hit every one of those feels because within like the first, I don't know, two minutes, like the the show opens with the 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 danger car spinning out of control because mm-hmm. you know the sidekick is driving it. Danger Mouse is out in space fighting aliens, <clears throat> and there's a robot walking through London destroying everything. And when they zoom in to the robot as he was controlling it, I want to say. The character's name is Pandemonium. Yes, I believe that was it. And they're like, that was blah, blah, blah machine. Where did you get it from? I, I got it on eBay. <laughs> like, oh, this is this is going to be good. I, I, I'm going to enjoy this show immensely. Yeah, it's got it's it's got a lot of the kind of uh, sharp witted humor. It reminds me a lot of like Animaniacs and mm-hmm. its prime. Right. Like, this is really it is just one of the most well-written cartoons it's it's everything you would want out of a cartoon. Watch it. Yes. And Animaniacs is on Netflix, too. So if you haven't watched that either, you should really check that out as well. Totally. All right. Beautiful. Um, all right. My turn. I was playing my um, 
PlayStation the other day, I actually downloaded um, the new Hitman game. And while I was doing the digital download, I had some time to kill because it doesn't, it's not instant, no matter what the internet tells you. So I started flipping around the menu system for the PlayStation and I came across this show, um, which I had no idea existed up until yeah, when, four when days you said, ago. <laughs> you said you were, this was on PSN. I'm like, they do content? Yes. Like- apparently so. Um, I remember when they announced it, and I, I, you surprised me by saying it was live action. I don't know why I thought this was animated. I thought this was a CG show, but I guess it just had that in my head for no actual reason because I did not follow up on it at all after its announcement. Well, the the show we are I'm talking about is uh, Powers, and okay, I'm trying. I I I opened up this guy's name, Charlto Charlto Copley. Um. I saw his face and I, this actor, everything that I've seen him in, he's awesome. He was the guy turning into an alien in District 9. He did the voice for Chappie. He was a crazy assassin in Elysium. Like, I, every time I see this guy, he's doing something phenomenal. And he is the main character in this show. The, how do I say it? Okay. This show is, modern day but everything like uh their superheroes are real so they live side by side with regular humans and uh charlotte uh his character's name is christian walker and he is a a former hero or former power because his his powers were taken away from him so he was a hero at one point in time kind of famous and then his powers were removed from him by the big baddie of the, the show, um, Wolf. And at that point, he became a cop on the superpowered criminal division or the powers division. And they are just regular people fighting supervillains, uh, mostly low end characters because, you know, they're just regular people. But the, the basis, I mean, all right, the pilot itself, looks kind of on the low end it's like it really feels like a pilot but as soon as you hit episode two everything becomes crisper cleaner the acting like i didn't i don't think they really knew exactly what they wanted to do except just stage set for the first episode um it's written by brian bendis and it's based off of a comic book so there's that the episode starts with um, Christian and his partner arresting this mega bad. He's a big dude, and the partner keeps shooting him in the neck with trank darts. But the guy doesn't fall down. He doesn't. He doesn't. It just like they might be just dampening his powers. And through a series of events, the partner ends up dead. Um, someone has to go. Talk to another villain in the other room. He's taking a phone call, drops the phone. He just like the, the, the power dampening stuff sort of wears off. And this villain like shoulder blasts this guy into the wall and his head like cracks open on a corner and there's like big splatter of blood. I'm like, whoa, this is, I didn't expect it. Like it, it took me, it took me by surprise. Um, Christian, who's 
superhero name in the past was Diamond. He swoops in and shoots the ever-living crap out of this guy and takes him out. So the, the, the show starts off with the death of his partner and then immediately following that the replacement shows up who's this you know tough as nails young female black cop who work she keeps saying the sheriff's department i don't know why i i didn't i don't know if that's a big deal yet um i've only watched maybe four or five episodes she's the daughter of a cop and she has this beef with powers now powers people with powers are known as powers and they are sort of like celebrities um the youth that have powers all sort of hang out together you know they party and and like they're just the elite and the 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 point of this episode is really to introduce the universe and then show us the big baddie which <laughs> okay it the character's name is wolf otherwise known as Big Bad Wolf, and it's played by Eddie Izzard. Oh, yay! I love me some Eddie Izzard, and the way... He's an action transvestite. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, His character... Okay. One... Diamond and the other... The other character... The other bad guy, like the low-end bad guy, is named Johnny Royale. Johnny Royale teleports. He and Christian were buddies growing up, and they were trained to use their powers by Wolf. But Wolf's powers are strength, uh, healing factor. He can drain powers, heroes' powers, and his his strength increases by eating people. Ew. Right? And... If he eats a power, not only does he absorb their power, but on top of the normal power he gets from eating people. Now, when they show him eating a person, and in the first, I don't know, four episodes, they show him eating at least a dozen to two dozen people. Um, There is more blood splattered all over. Like, it's as if, like, six people exploded all in one shot. Like, it's horribly violent and visceral and every time you see Eddie Izzard's character for like the first three episodes he's got long scraggly hair he's got facial hair and he is covered in blood constantly um the the way Christian or Diamond at the time became famous was he captured Wolf and the reason he captured Wolf was Wolf went on this killing spree in a club killed a crap ton of people and realized this is not the person he wants to be and asked Christian and Johnny to kill him to kill him and Christian said no I'm not going to kill you I'm going to arrest you and become a hero and that started his career later on he gets out of jail wolf gets out of jail and takes Christian's powers away that's when he becomes a, a, just a regular old everyday cop now, back in the day, they had a little super team, which consisted of, oh, Jesus, Retro Girl, Diamond. There was another, there was another big hulking type dude who was, who was a horrible human being. But, um, 
the first couple of episodes are dealing with that big hulking dude gets killed by this designer drug that is being put into the market for supers, for, for powers. And it turns out that Johnny is the one making the drug. And he makes the drug by taking some sort of liquid out of Wolf's brain. Okay? Turns it into pill form and then gives it... It enhances powers, superheroes' powers, but it could go wrong by making their hearts explode. Like, that's a side effect. May cause exploding heart. And that's how the big, big doofy superhero dies. Print that on the side of the bottle. Yeah. Um, the... <laughs> Like I said, Johnny can teleport, and what he's been doing for a while is teleporting into the prison facility, into the into the jail cell of Wolf, and extracting said serum. Now, when he teleports, it causes a static on all of the cameras, so conveniently enough, he can't be seen. But to keep Wolf incapacitated, because, like I said, it's really powerful, they have lobotomized him. But due to the fact he has a healing factor, they have to leave the lobotomy pin in. So this guy constantly has this big spike coming out of his eye socket, which is horribly uncomfortable to look at. I had this thing with eyes and violence towards them. But the most... Uh, <laughs> Wolf wants to get out, okay? He's sort of getting his senses back. And he realizes that he has to get the spike out of his head. So he is sort of like lashed to the ground. So he's on on his knees. And what he does is he repeatedly bangs his forehead onto the ground, slowly making this pin slide out of his face. Oh, oh like I was so uncomfortable but couldn't turn away. <laughs> It's like driving past an accident. I was, I heard like the first couple of hits. I'm like, is he driving that for, is he trying to kill himself? And then I see it just getting further. I'm like, oh, this guy's got a plan. This guy's a thinker. He eventually escapes. Um, and most of the time he's trying, like the, the prison cell that he's in is like, they keep, they just say levels. It's nine levels underground. I don't know what that means or what that translates to. But it's it's in like a supermax. Like he's they got he's working his way up, and they keep sending people to stop him, and he just keeps eating them. <laughs> the final conflict is uh, Christian Diamond confronts him, but he is but Wolf is so out of it because of the whole spike in the brain thing that he thinks that they arrested Diamond, and that's why he's in the jail, not to stop him. So Diamond. Christian tries to talk him out of doing what he's doing and kick some sense into him and whatnot and sort of seems to be going okay. And then Wolf realizes he's a cop. He's working for them. They start to fight. Um, Retro Girl, the other, the female superhero, tries to jump in and help. She gets knocked the fuck out. There's another girl. Uh, I think her name was Zora. She, she manipulates light. And she tries to help and she gets knocked the fuck out. But there's the, the conflict between Wolf and, and Christian comes to a head when some 
Christian took the drug and it sort of linked him to Wolf. So he starts taking, I can't tell if he's taking his own powers back or he's drawing powers out of Wolf because all of a sudden he can fly. He's got super strength. He subdues Wolf in this jail cell that is now specially equipped with this light that dampens superpowers. And as soon as Wolf hits the light, uh, he, he gets in pain. So does Christian. They both fall down. Christian doesn't have his powers anymore. So he had him for like three minutes. And he doesn't know why or what the connection is between the two of them now. The last bit that I saw is now Wolf. Everybody knows that Wolf tried to escape. And when I say everybody, I mean it was like a, a media frenzy. He is now communicating with his lawyers to get them to kill him. So he's trying to get the courts to, to, to put the death penalty on him, but where they are, there is no death penalty. So they want to, he wants them to drain his powers completely because then he'll be free from the hunger. And then, you know, that's where the episode ends. And I'm like, this show is, it has hit every note that I need for a superhero television show. Ultra violent. Decent story, character conflict between each other and, and, and backstories that they're, they're, okay. You know how Arrow eludes to Arrow's backstory by those ridiculous flashbacks that, that have no connection to the story whatsoever? Well, they incorporate a couple of flashbacks in this, but oddly enough, really concise with the story, the, the current running story. Like it's how a flashback should be done. It's a lot of fun. I'm really, really enjoying it. Within the next day or two, I will finish. It's like two seasons now. Um, I can't wait because at, apparently at some point in time, um, Retro Girl, who turns out to be some sort of like love interest for Christian, it, the the season two like artwork is a it's who killed Retro Girl. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that to see where because it, it's it's like it's what um what's that Batman cop show? Gotham. Gotham. It feels like it's what Gotham should be. Gotham, like they they have, they are trying to make it a superhero story without making superheroes in it. So it's failing, in my opinion. They just gave me the superheroes in this and and put a cop drama inside of it. I'm like, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to see. So it is on the PlayStation Network. Yeah. So I don't know where I know it's available on PS4 if you buy some sort of package. Did PS3, Chris, did they did that have television network to it? Do you know? Um I think it had access to it. I feel like this started on PlayStation 3, but I could be remembering that wrong. Possible. I I I, I don't it's the PSN television. I know there's a new thing that Get, let you watch television on your PlayStation 4. This is not that. This is like their video, like you can buy videos and movies and stuff on this, that aspect of the, 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 the machine. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. Really enjoyed it. Really, really. I just hope it keeps it up at this level. Not, you know, do what normal superhero stuff does and falls and disappoints me, except for, except for the Flash. The Flash has kept me very entertained so 
It's a good we show. We will be getting back to the Flash, I think, in a few episodes. Here. We're most likely going to be talking about so, yes. the talking about it next week because Kevin Smith episode is uh, just it just finished, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I have to I watch the season finale. Is the following? Week. I don't give a shit about the season finale. There's a Kevin Smith. <laughs> well, episode. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the only one on this podcast, sir. Oh, fine. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break. Like I said at the beginning, when we get back, we're going to talk our favorite uh, series finales. So uh, stay tuned. Geekade is hitting the road again, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities to meet up with us in person in the coming months. Why would you want to do that? I think the better question is, why wouldn't you? Our first stop is at ACBC, that's the Atlantic City Boardwalk Con, May 13th through 15th at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Evan, Dean, and Matt from the Paper Cuts podcast will be there, as will I, Chris from the Stone Age Gamer podcast, uh, be joining them too. We will all be walking the show floor and going, giving interviews and high fives to everyone that we meet, whether they want us to or not. Then, Brandon and Travis from Apathetic Enthusiasm will be at the amazing Hawaii Comic Con, May 20th to the 22nd at the Hawaii Convention Center. They provided some excellent coverage last year, and it seems likely that they will be doing the same thing this year, unless they decide to intentionally provide bad coverage. But that doesn't seem like them. Does it? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Hopefully not. Anyway, if you are in the Hawaii area, make sure you seek them out. Then, we're off to Too Many Games, June 24th to the 26th at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center with the Stone Age Gamer Podcast. Not only will they be gallivanting about the show floor and hanging out at the StoneAgeGamer.com booth, but they might just have a few other tricks up their sleeve as well. TMG is one heck of a show, and and good gaming fun is promised to everyone who enters. Next stop is Garden State Comic Fest, July 9th through the 10th at Menon Arena in Morristown, New Jersey. This is Geekade's biggest show with many of our writers, podcasters, and video talent on hand. If it's comic-related, it's going to be there. Plus, the Paper Cuts podcast will be continuing their annual panel tradition. If you've ever seen these shows, you know that things get... kind of weird. But in a fun way. More details on this one are coming soon. But that's just the first leg of our tour. Keep your eyes open on geekade.com for all of our latest stops, as well as all new original content. We post every single day. Some of you may know that we have a delightful gentleman on staff by the name of Matt Much. He has a multitude of talents, not the least of which includes being Dan Ryan. Did you know Matt can write as well? It's true. And to prove it, Geekade is playing host to an article written by the man himself about the Super NES cult classic, Secret of Evermore. Much like Matt himself, it's much more than meets the eye. Be sure to read Gave Me Evermore, located in the Think Tank. After involuntarily taking a month off, sometimes I'm not the best at my job, Bits and Brews is back with an article that would have been much more timely a month ago. Did I mention that sometimes I'm not the best editor-in-chief? At any rate, Dan paired the PC indie classic Cave Story with Founders KBS. It may seem like an odd pairing at first glance, but once you delve a bit below the surface, it may make more sense than you think. Don't miss Bits and Brews number 13, Cave Story and KBS. 
Your monthly dose of tabletop gaming in podcast form has returned with an all-new episode of You Shall Not Pass Go. There's magic cards, tournament play, something called Maestro, something else called Unearthed Arcana, and even a fresh batch of D&D monsters. Give a listen to You Shall Not Pass Go, Episode 3, Death with Friends. Whether you love basketball or not, chances are you've heard the name Kobe Bryant. Whether you know him or not, you may have heard the name Max Sizemore. Whether or not those last sentences made any sense to you, one thing is for certain. Matt Sizemore loves him some Kobe Bryant. And if you want to know why, the answer is not only readily available, but quite an entertaining read. Be sure to read 24 Halls of Fame on the Ball, located in the Think Tank. You can catch all this great stuff, plus tons of other articles, videos, podcasts, and more, right now at geekade.com. And we're back. Thanks for checking out our commercials. Uh, it, it has been brought to my attention that a number of shows are having some sort of finale. So Karen came up with a wonderful idea for us to flash back a little bit and, and talk about our favorites, our picks, just some se- uh, series finales that we enjoyed. So uh, I went with season finales. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I thought it was season finales. Either way, whether it be season or series or whatnot, I went with series. So these are finales that I enjoyed. How about you? Is that does that work for you? Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll start us off. I think I don't know if I picked this one because I just finished watching them, but How I Met Your Mother finale, like hit. It hit me in the heart so hard that I still, I, no matter how many times I watch it, I get emotional because there is a scene in this this episode where, uh, spoiler, Barney ends up having a child and he looks at this little baby girl and, and the line that comes out of his mouth and the way it's delivered is is heart-wrenching, you know, something to the effect of, my, you, you know, you're the most beautiful thing. Everything that I have and everything I am is yours forever. I mean, so many feels it's ridiculous. And the, I, I fully expected everything else. And, you know, that's a quick recap of everything that happened in the show and then why we are finally seeing the mother, um, or why he's talking about the mother, you know, and it's just something that I felt wrapped up the show very very well with that um chris me yes go ahead (laughs) all right well let's see um i guess i'll get my uh let's go with um one of my favorite season finales probably one of the first ones that 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 came to mind was uh the simpsons who shot mr burns part one <laughs> this is a uh, season six episode 25 uh this was just this was kind of like uh this is a big deal like this was kind of an event when it happened like they really played it up like the whole mystery of it and oh god this was the, the simpsons was still so good <laughs> at this point it was still so good so the episode opens with a <laughs> principal Skinner and Willie going back from a holiday weekend. Skinner smells something awful, uh, and he finds that the class hamster super dude has died. 
Super dude. Super dude. <laughs> Scare tells Willie to air out the class classroom, give Super dude a proper burial, uh, which Willie does in the school basement. And when digging, he strikes oil, <laughs> which erupts all over the school. Uh, the following scene, I wanted to bring this up just because I watched the episode earlier today, and this cracked me up so much. The, the following scene is just this brilliant alliteration joke. There is Mr. Burns having a meeting, and Mr. Burns pulls up this envelope, and, and, and he needs to send a parcel with the profit projections to Pete Porter in Pasadena. <laughs> Which leads to Smithers busting into the parcel processing, <laughs> the parcel processing area, and saying, per- "Perk up, printer gas! Profoundly pressing package of power plant profit projections for Pete Porter in Pasadena. Priority precisely." <laughs> now that's alliteration. That's it's that's so that's a, good. a truckload of alliteration this, right there. It, and this joke is like it's such a long way of getting to. Um, Basically, all this episode is is setting up everyone's motivations to kill Mr. Burns. <laughs> so this leads to um, that guy, you know, the Prendergast, giving the uh, letter to the the package parcel, whatever, to somebody else, who then gives it to somebody else, and eventually winds up on Homer's desk, who then runs into Mr. Burns's office and gives it to him. <laughs> to which Mr. Burns Burns freaks out because his name is the return address, not where it's going, <laughs> and uh, he he um. This is where you understand that Homer's motivation, and he just keeps getting angrier and angrier because Homer's worked there for years, and Burns doesn't know his name. Um, so the school is now rich because of all the oil, and they uh, open it up to the, uh, the the students and the staff for um, uh, suggestions for what to do with the money. And the celebrity guest of this episode, uh, Lisa, wants to hire Tito Puente to be the, <laughs> the music teacher in the school <laughs> and he he shows up and he accepts the job which is fantastic uh but mr burns finds out about the oil well uh poses as a student jimbo jones uh <laughs> to to try and convince them that he should give the money to uh they should give the oil and the money to mr burns um later while maniacally looking through his binoculars he's uh he he sets up a drill. He, Mr. Burns sets up a drilling drilling company of his own called uh, Slanted Drilling or something, and it's just this big sideways oil rig <laughs> that taps directly into the oil well <laughs> under under the earth, which is like horrible. <laughs> and while looking at this thing through his binoculars, uh, Mr. Burns sees a baby in a park eating a uh, um a, a candy cane. And says that uh, taking candy from a baby sounds like a larf. <laughs> to which Smithers then begs him to reconsider not only stealing from the the school by you know tapping into the oil, but also you know stealing from the baby. Uh, and he notices a box of chocolates on Mr. Burns's desk, which is from Homer, which is set up to uh, make him remember his name. And they eat every single chocolate in the box, reminiscing about previous episodes of The Simpsons where they've dealt with every character in The Simpsons family, but then they leave the last chocolate on Homer's head and and move on with their day. (laughs) So the slanted oil rig uh, eventually drills into the oil and has this big blast, sprays horrible oil all over the town, wrecking Bart's treehouse, causing a terrible crash, which then injures and breaks uh, Santa's Santa's little helper's legs, uh, which puts him in a little wheelchair thingy with a cone on his head. Um... Thanks to Burns tapping the well, the school goes broke and is forced to fire Willie and Tito Puente, which also pisses off Lisa. So now you have Bart, Santa's little helper, Homer, uh, Tito Puente, and Willie and Lisa all ready to kill Mr. Burns for this oil thing. 
plus Mr. Smithers because uh you know the the, the Burns is pushing him a little too far. Then the Burns oil drill is actually built right next door to Moe's, and the toxins and fumes are <laughs> filling up the entire uh, bar, to which Moe says, uh, if you guys are getting loaded off them fumes, I'm going to have to start charging. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, men in hazmat suits come in and say, say, man alive, there's men alive in here. <laughs> and so they close down the bar, uh, and when they close down the bar, Moe gets his gun, and so does Barney, because Barney obviously is upset bars closed too uh burns oil rig then causes an earthquake under the old folks home which pisses off all the old folks including grandpa simpson and just when you thought he couldn't be more of an asshat burns hatches a plan to blot out the sun so he can charge even more for electricity which is the last straw for smithers where he says owls will deafen us with incessant hooting and the town sundial will be useless <laughs> <laughs> So he backs out and distances himself from Mr. Burns uh, as as well, um, and uh, so the the Mr. Burns shows up uh, towards the end of the episode where everyone's having a town meeting about stopping Mr. Burns, and Burns has a gun on him, and he's just like, ah, nobody has the balls to shoot me. I have a gun, and so the next screen is a scene is him walking outside, and he walks into an alley, and you don't see what's happening. You just hear a conversation with him, a handful of shots that are establishing that. Pretty much everybody is a suspect. You hear a gunshot. Burns comes out and he collapses on the town sundial. And uh, everyone kind of gathers around like, oh, Mr. Burns has been shot. And uh, the, um, what is it? It eventually pans around to Dr. Hibbert's character. He says, well, I can't possibly solve this mystery. Can Can you? (laughs) And he points at the screen for a second and it lingers. And then it pans over to Chief Wiggum and says, well, I'll give it a shot. It's my job. <laughs> and it goes to be continued. And it was it was so cool. I mean, the, the following episode is also you know quite entertaining where you find out you know who shot Mr. Burns and the, the ridiculous story behind it. And you get to hear Mr. Burns use the phrase wallow in my own crapulence, which is one of my favorite lines. <laughs> but uh, this just the event status of this season finale was so huge and i remember it so distinctly being a kid and there was some kind of ridiculous prize for guessing correctly who shot mr burns like you would enter in like a big contest i don't think this was the one where it was the house because i know there was one simpsons contest where they actually built a house that was the simpsons house and it even looked like a cartoon house and it was like why would anyone actually want to own that (laughs) it's kind of horrifying but um yeah, this is a great season finale, a really fun event season finale. So, ta-da. Hey, guys, remember when The Simpsons was great? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Thank it's getting you. foggier and fuzzier, though. Yeah. <sighs> Show's still on. <laughs> All right. Karen? Yeah, well, you guys picked a comedy, so I guess I have to go with the comedy. The, the first one that popped into my head when this topic came up was uh, The Friends Season 4 finale where ross is the wrong name at the wedding but we already talked about that on the show so uh, enough said about that one so i had to go with a uh, finale from the office um and i went with the season two finale casino night uh, because it was it, it they had a lot of big finales on the show but this one was if you were invested in jim and pam this was a big effing deal <laughs> Uh, Michael had thrown a uh, casino night for charity for some reason. 
Uh, <laughs> there is some comedy with he invited Jan and they didn't know she was going to come. So he also invited Carol and then he had two dates and there was some awkwardness and comedy with that. There was some also like relationship stuff with Dwight and Angela where they like the show confirmed what we had thought that they were, you know, somehow involved. But really the relationship that you get the most out of is Jim and Pam. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim was, you know, upset that uh, Pam was going to marry Roy. And even though he, he loved her, so he starts talking to Jan about transferring to Stamford, which led to a, a pretty... um. I thought it was pretty bold play to, to move one of the main characters off the show, but off out of the main location of the show, but still keep him on the show. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting the way they did that. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Sally. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the last moments of the show, he Jim goes to talk, to, but feeling like he's got nothing to lose. He's going to do this transfer, this job transfer. So he has to finally you know, make one last ditch effort and talk to Pam tell her how he feels and that oh, talk about feels between these two and like i don't know this was a this was i guess early 2000s it was a, it was a more innocent time i feel like on tv like <laughs> i just i wasn't used to tv jerking my emotions around yet when i first saw this and i was just like oh my god so, you know, he confesses to her and she does the thing that she feels like she has to do because she's going to marry Roy. She's all set to marry Roy. So she shoots him down and tries to be nice and keeps him as a friend. And, and you just thought the heartbreak in his face when he's like, I don't want to just be friends. It just killed me. And then, you know, they, they, they separate and then you see her on the phone in the office talking to her mom and all by herself and... She feels like she doesn't know what to do. And then he comes in and like she hangs up the phone and he doesn't say anything. And then they just have this amazing kiss. <gasps> oh, my God. Let's sigh. Oh, like I'm a champion sire in my family. Uh, it's, it's just a trait we have. But uh, yeah. And, and then that's where the season ends. And they're like, oh, my God. But he just was going to transfer his job but then they just kissed and what's going to happen it was just it's one of those like cliffhangers where it was really like compelling compelling it really like made you agonize over the summer yeah, yeah there were two things about that last scene that i was really impressed with was was thing number one was i loved the conversation pam was having with her mom because her mom clearly knew that pam even though she, and you can just get all of this context from one side of a conversation, but you could clearly tell that Pam's mom knew that Pam was in love with Jim, but hadn't admitted it to herself. And we never hear Pam's mom's you voice. You never like, hear Pam's nothing. mom's voice. It's just that side, her side of the conversation and her reaction to it. You know exactly what's going on in that phone call. And that was brilliantly written, but also just the, the, the perfect flawless timing of the way it stopped because the episode, they kiss, they pull away, and you get like maybe two, two and a half seconds of them looking at each other's eyes as, as they have no idea what's going to happen next as much as the viewer doesn't. And then it just stops. It did no fade to black, just cut. Perfectly That's the end. cut. Perfectly yeah. cut. It was flawless. This is, a, this is a great choice. Nice. Very good. All right. When. Okay. Now, seeing as we're doing season finales this one 
that I, the next one that I'm going to talk about should have been a season finale. It was actually a series finale, and that is um, Angel, season five, episode 22. <laughs> okay? Now, I don't care how you feel about the Whedonverse. The way this show ended, it could have gone for a, like at least another season and a half. Um, the way the story goes is uh, Angel's has been hatching this plan to, to take down this uh, circle of the black thorn. And he's doing sort of underhanded, sneaky things, keeping his, his crew in the dark about what his plans are. And the beginning of this episode, he reveals his plan that everybody has to sort of work together to take down all the key members. Now they have to enlist a couple of people that aren't normally part of the group. Um, Amy Acker plays uh, Illyria, where she originally played, I want to say her name was Fred. Fred, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. She is so, she's such a good actress. Anyhow, um, this Illyria character is sort of not good, not evil, but we're not 110 on whose side she's on. She joins the fight, and they systematically pick off all the key players of, of the, the Black Circle or the Circle of the Black Thorn. And Angel's plan is completed. But they're, he is fully aware once that plan is done, they're going to open up the gates of hell and all sorts of demon and monsters and horrible, horrible things are going to attack them. And the final scene of this, this show is the people that are left in the group, because um, a couple of them die are in an alleyway in the rain and down the alley in shadows and silhouettes you see all these monsters coming at them and demons with knives and swords and pitchforks and a fucking dragon swoops in and and spike turns to angel and he says uh do we have do you have a plan and angel's you know his response is i don't know about you but i want to slay the dragon Let's go, <laughs> let's go to work. And they start to charge, and that's where the show ends. Like, even just relaying this information, I got chills because I just watched it earlier today. Such an epic, epic ending for a show that makes, like, I so wanted just one more episode. Show me how that fight finishes. Or even if they all die, I don't care. I wanted to know how that show ended. But unfortunately, it only lasted five seasons and that's how they chose to end it a sigh chris it was it was really <laughs> great i remember watching angel at the time and yeah i i enjoyed it i i i i, I would have liked to see more too but like that wasn't a bad way to go no out. no not a bad way to go out but should have been a cliffhanger for the entrance to the next season <sighs> Whedon. There's always the comic. This is very true. This is very true. What do you got for us, Chris? Uh, all right. Well, I get. I'll, all right, I'll go. My my second one. <laughs> <sighs> my second one is Chuck. Chuck versus the Ring, season two, episode twenty-two. Nice. 
Chuck had recently had the intersect removed from his brain. The intersect, for those not in the know, is a supercomputer that is inputted, imprinted into somebody's brain that gives them flashes of information, making them a very useful source of information. <laughs> awesome, and uh, the character, awesome, and Chuck's sister, sister are to be married. Uh, Chuck quits the buy more and gets a big fat check from the government for his services rendered, and Casey gives Chuck his personal number in case of emergencies. And him and Sarah... Um, Let's see, him and Sarah, Chuck and Sarah finally kiss, and it looks like they're getting together for realsies. However, Bryce Larkin, back from the dead, is now poised to accept the new fancy intersect as originally planned, uh, and Sarah's partner, and be Sarah's partner again. Chuck isn't too thrilled when he finds all this out, and neither is Sarah, but she's duty-bound. Uh, boo. So Chuck goes to wallow in his misery and drink when uh, Chevy Chase shows up at the wedding and he wants the cube, which is the thing that lets the intersect go into somebody's brain. Apparently, I don't remember the details of that part of it, but he threatens to kill the bride and all sorts of uh, action shenanigans ensue. Casey shows up with a team after getting the emergency phone call from Chuck. Uh, Sarah throws throws knives around. It's awesome. The day is saved, but the wedding is ruined. Is ruined. Oh my god. The, the more you're describing this, I'm like, oh, this one. Oh my god, I love this one. I know, this is such, a, such an awesome episode. <laughs> so, uh, with a little help from Chuck's money, uh, everybody pitches in and sets up the perfect impromptu beach wedding for Awesome and Ellie to be married. Uh, and they finally oh. get married. Yay! Wait, I have to cut you off because, like, before all this, before the wedding is ruined, there's, like, a thing where they have to stall the wedding. Oh, like, with Jeffster? And, and yeah. Jeffster, the band, shows up and they do this, like, completely ridiculous performance in the middle of the wedding. And they make it so loud that people can't hear all the gunfighting <laughs> The fight that's going on. <laughs> anyway, you are saying, go on. The, the wedding is saved. Hooray. So the wedding is saved, but back at the uh, the old home base, uh, Casey is betrayed by uh, a, a, an old t- a teammate of his who then kills Chevy Chase, who is in captivity. Uh, and it turns out he's working for another secret organization organization that's even bigger and more evil than Fulcrum. Uh, meanwhile, back at the reception, Bryce Bryce is all being – he's all sad looking at Chuck and Sarah like they want to be together and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then he gets escorted out by a CIA, CIA agent and then, whoa, Chuck's dad who's at the wedding has an intersect flash. Uh, who happens to be like a dude who is presumed dead, so shit's about to get real. Uh <laughs> Chuck's dad having an intersect f- flashed was an awesome moment because he has an intersect in his head. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, turns out he's had it for a long time, but this really all boils down to Casey is in danger, which he is. Uh, so Chuck's dad gives him, um, Chuck, a tracker thingy to go after Casey. They find, they find Bryce, who was escorted off by this, uh, you know, pre- previously dead CIA dude. Uh, he's shot and dying in the room where the intersect computer is, and he gives Chuck a disc thingy to blow up the intersect because it's too dangerous, and then he dies. Again, well, yes, again, Chuck, uh, Bryce dies again. Chuck gets ready to put the disc into the intersect computer, which just happens to be a super old Macintosh, but instead <laughs> decides to re-download the intersect into his head so that he can help save his friends and be more useful in the future. Uh, but this is a fancy newer version of the intersect, which we are about to find out more about. Uh, at the end of the episode. Once the download is complete, he destroys the computer, but the bad guys come into the room, and Chuck says he destroyed the intersect. Casey and Sarah are brought in at gunpoint. There, they've been captured, and then a whole bunch of other bad guys come in, and our heroes are outnumbered to the nth degree. At this point, I thought that was it. When I'm watching this show, I think that's the that's how they're they're doing the cliffhanger. That's the season finale, and it sucks because 
it would, was really up in the air at this point whether or not the show was going to get renewed. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't it. Chuck flashes. Everybody else looks at him just like, did you put the intersect back in your head? And Case, John Casey gives the classic line, oh, Chuck me. <laughs> uh, and then Chuck proceeds to beat the living crap out of everyone in the room. Like, brutally beats the living shit out of everybody <laughs> except Casey and Sarah. And then he looks up at his friends and says, guys, I know Kung Fu. And that, my friends, is how you do a season finale. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That oh my was God. so awesome. Like, this is the season two finale, right? So when you, we've now had two entire seasons of Chuck's not being a very physical character besides being lanky and kind of goofy. And he's just a nerd who knows a lot of stuff. And that's the shtick of the show is that Chuck, you know, he needs to be rescued all the time. He needs he's, to stay in the car. He needs to stay in the car. He he's the damsel does. in distress half the time, you know? He never stays and in the car. Ever. <laughs> he never stays in the car. But what this does is this turned the whole show dynamic on its head by now now the character that was always being rescued is doing the rescuing. Like it changed so much. And I was like, holy crap, I can't wait to see where this goes. What is the show gonna be now? How is it going to work? And fortunately for all of us, it worked spectacularly all the way through to its spectacular conclusion. But this right here just Chuck saying, guys, I know Kung Fu was like, when I was thinking of season finales, this one popped in my head. I was like, oh, shit, guys, I know Kung Fu. That's the episode I got to talk about. <laughs> I was actually going to gonna bring up a, a Chuck episode, which was the, the series finale, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a whole nother intersect and bad guys and memory racings. But the reason, the reason I like the episode so much is it shows... Because there's a, a point where uh, she loses all her memories, so he's trying to refresh them, and they do this f- flashback of how young and how innocent he looked at the very beginning, and all of the mm-hmm. little points. Yeah. I forgot that he had froey curly hair at the beginning. I was like, "Oh, yeah. what a good show!" <laughs> uh, the thing that I love about this one is that the, the title. It's Chuck versus the Chuck Ring versus because the, the ring, ring yeah. was the organization that replaced Fulcrum and they were like even bigger and badder and worse than Fulcrum. But it was also like that was it was a double meaning because that was the uh, ruse that they used to delay the wedding is like tell Ellie I forgot the ring and I have to go get the ring. Mm. It was really smart. This whole show was really smart. Clever as hell. I love this show. Such a good show. God damn it. And, and you know and it. Of course, it's one of those shows that was always on the bubble. So there was a mm-hmm. couple of seasons where we didn't know if it was coming back or not. Pretty much every season except the last one. Like, it was always on the cusp. It was like, is it going to get renewed? It was never, ever safe until it got that final season finale. And like, that was nine seasons? seasons? Something like that? Five. No, really? Only five? Yeah, I think. Oh, I felt like it was more. All right. Should have been more. Should have been. Should have been. I was pretty happy with the with the time it had, and that it 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 ended. Like they wrote that last season, that last season to be the ending, and I thought it was. I love it when shows don't outstay, overstay their welcome. And Chuck never got to the point where it out outstayed its welcome. It never got tired. It never got bad. It stayed consistently solid, and then ended. So, I will take a well written conclusion to a story any day of the week to. Well, what happened to the other show I'm going to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) 
Which we'll get to when it's your turn, mister. Indeed. No, that's not a cliffhanger. I don't know what it is. Garen! <laughs> yeah. What you got? Um, it's, I find it interesting that you brought up Angel because uh, one of the one of the places my mind went immediately to with this topic was Buffy. Yeah. Um, many, many people on the internet will argue that this season finale should have been the series finale. <laughs> and I think that we might be among them <laughs> given that what ha- what happened and how much we hated most of season six except for the musical episode yeah that's true that, that um, was the bright light yeah 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 season five the finale the gift um whew. this season this whole this season on the whole is like a fine example a shining example of a season of television it had a great big bad um it had dawn <laughs> which you know lover hater it, it was definitely a plot that worked i felt uh so by the end of it dawn buffy's sister who magically appeared out from nowhere and turned out to be a key of some kind um key to another dimension uh was captured by glory who was the big bad and glory was a demon that could transform back and forth between herself and then ben who is like a doctor and a nice guy and trying to stop her but he couldn't control when they changed between the personalities it was a weird character but it was awesome so she was gonna she had dawn and she's gonna kill her in a ritual to open a dimension a portal to a hell dimension so the scoobies are like devastated they don't know what to do they're trying to come up with all these plans but they don't uh like the best they can come up with is like we have to kill dawn before glory does so that like at least you know she dies but at least she's not used to like open this portal and obviously that's not okay with buffy uh so they you know they come up with other plans and the thing that i love about the plan that they come up with is that everybody gets to use their talents they go into this final battle against glory and everybody gets a hero moment um the willow uses her magic like it's you know she's been practicing and this is like kind of like her culmination of her powers um xander comes in with a fucking wrecking ball which is awesome because you know xander feels a lot of the time like he doesn't have like as he isn't as able to contribute to the rest as the rest of the gang is but he he had that uh we get the buffy bot moment um anya has a couple of things that she gets to help them one of which is uh olaf's hammer um that buffy uses to beat the crap out of glory uh giles kills ben slash glory or kills glory while he's while she's changed into ben so that she can't change back to glory and like come back and fight back and uh buffy sets spike on the mission to protect dawn and he gets like he has this moment of like i i know you'll never love me but uh you always treated me like a man even though i'm a monster something you know there's I didn't bother looking up the quote, but (laughs) (laughs) it was a really powerful line. And, uh, you know, whatever you feel about what came next with Spike, this was a good, this was a good time for Spike. I was, I always liked Spike better on Buffy than I did on Angel. Yeah. Agreed. So, like, it looks like everybody's gonna, you know, win and save the day and stop Glory, but then this other demon, Doc, shows up and, you know, starts 
cutting Dawn and bleeding her to complete the ritual and open the portal. And, oh, crap. Um, so Buffy gets up there and uh, kicks crap out of Doc and gets Dawn out of harm's way, but it's too late. The ritual is complete and the hell dimension is open. And, like, she had this vision earlier in the season with the first Slayer where the first Slayer said, death is, she says, death is your gift. And Buffy's like, I don't know what that means. And then it takes her all the way through this, you know, whole battle for her to realize that this is what she has to do. She's going to sacrifice herself to save everybody else. She's really like touching moment with Dawn. You get the, the, the classic line that she says, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. And then you see her just throw herself off the uh, off the whatever tower that, that's been built and into the portal for the hell dimension. And then like it closes and she falls to the ground dead and every all the Scoobies are like, holy <laughs> shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> and that's the end. And that's the, the and just that is so balls out of a show to be like, guess what? We're going to kill the main character. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and and we're gonna do it in the season finale, so you get to spend the whole summer going, what? <laughs> but it was you, such an amazing moment. <laughs> did you? I mean, but are they? Are you coming back? Is you, <laughs> exactly. And I don't remember whether this was a time when the 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 fate of the show was in question. I don't think it was at this point in time because it was it was doing really well. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was just like. It's just one of those, like, holy shit moments in television. <laughs> Such a good show. I, it, it, Buffy, I got on the, the Buffy bandwagon very late, and I remember powering through that, that series really quickly because it is really good. The good points are really good. The bad points, on the other hand, uh, are pretty, are pretty bad. bad. But there's way fewer bad points than there are yes. good points. So. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Riley. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, all right. Seeing as you brought up that one and uh, Chris spoke about Chuck, I'm going to change my last choice and try to one-up the death of a main character theory. Um my next and final choice is season two, episode three of Sherlock. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, the Reckenbach Fall. Um, first off, Sherlock is one of the best TV shows on BBC show. This is sort of cheating because they are 90 minutes minimum episodes. So they're mini movies, as I like to call them. And they modernize the original Sherlock Holmes tales, which is, I mean, the, the well that they have to go back to the stories is, is phenomenal. Uh, this episode starts off with Moriarty. He breaks into the Tower of London, a prison and the Bank of London all at the same time. And he does that because he's trying to show off this new computer program that he has that can open any lock. Um, he gets caught, gets arrested, but due to the fact 
I don't think he steals anything. They they let him go. He's found innocent, or it's some sort of loophole where he gets out and goes into hiding. Um, while he's in hiding, that uh, Sherlock really feels that there's something more to this story. Like there's a reason Moriarty did this. He's becoming more and more famous. He solves a bunch of other crimes. Uh, there's a kidnapping thing that he solves, and um, he's becoming more and more famous. Now, while that's happening. Moriarty keeps throwing in these like these tidbits to make people doubt Sherlock, like to make him make everyone think that he's like a fraud. And some sort of article comes out that the person writing the article qu- quotes a source, and that source is Moriarty faking it, saying that he's someone else, and giving all this bad stuff, bad information to make Sherlock look horrible uh and i think uh the fake names that he uses is um like richard brooks or something like that it's something that translate in translates in german to reichenbach right which i thought was such a clever i love when they do shit like that um okay so the the episode culminates with this standoff between holmes and moriarty moriarty has watson um, Mrs. Hudson and Lestrade captive. They are going to be killed. And the only way for them to not be killed is Sherlock has to kill himself. And there's no way for him to get out of this deal because as Moriarty's presenting this situation to him, he pulls out a gun and kills himself with no, with no way out that he could figure out. Sherlock jumps off the building. He jumps off the building, and as he's falling, home or uh, Watson sees him, sees him jump off the building. At one point in time, they're actually on the phone, if I'm not mistaken, and and he yeah, tells he him calls to look him right before he jumps, so and, he can, and like he says, "This is my note." Right, and and boom, dead. Fate to fucking black. Okay, now. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the length of time between seasons. Of Sherlock? Holy shit. Yes. If you thought it was a long time to wait over the summer to see what happened to Buffy. This, this felt like three lifetimes. I mean, un, the, the, the internet was a buzz with all of the possible... The things that could have happened, should have happened, may have happened, we don't know, this is what we think, blah, 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 blah. Okay, it was... It, it was so internet heavy that when the show came back, the show I loved actually the they did this. referenced how much crap was going on in the internet by sort of throwing a couple of the options at us and going, nope, that wasn't it. Nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the one that had, had him making out with Moriarty. Yeah. Yeah, and and I felt like there should have been like a, a crawl at the bottom that says, for all of you weirdos that thought this was actually what happened, here's the next 30 seconds. <laughs> um, honestly, like when that happened and it ends, I I sat there mouth agape going, what? Wh- what? There's no commercials. They're not coming back. Th- what? I have to wait a year plus, if I'm not mistaken. For, 
It was definitely over a year. Yeah, because it, and, and it wasn't all like, it wasn't like it was, there was that scene afterwards where he's at the- The grave. The, Watson's at the, the grave and you see Sherlock's alive. So they weren't screwing with you in that respect. You knew he was mm-hmm. alive and you're just like- you're, The mystery was- Screw you! <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that? Like, I swear, I remember being at work- and we're all like talking about it frame by frame, like, all right, in this one shot, you can see it like a dump truck pull up and maybe you landed in a dump truck full of pillows or something <laughs> like that. And I swear every single thing that we came up with was addressed in the following episode of the show as something that wasn't the answer. And they never freaking answered it. They never actually said what happened. Holy sh- because that's what Stephen Moffat likes to fucking do to you. Okay, so let me. Uh, I'm looking this up right now. That episode aired the 20th of May, 2012. Season 3, Episode 1, aired the 19th of January, 2014. 2014. <laughs> Holy, that's just not right. <laughs> that's just yes, mean. I believe, <laughs> I believe that we got friends of ours into this show in, in the time between Season 2 and Season 3, and they were like, Fuck you. You're an asshole, Karen. You're an <laughs> asshole, Chris. Why would you do this to us? So there you go. That's my that's my final choice. I think I I it's one of my long, excellent choice. This was on show. my short list. I it was just too intense. I was like, I don't think I can I could briefly <laughs> sum this up. You get all emotional and so. shit. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank Evan. you. I appreciate that. Chris well, the first thing that popped into my head is, uh, and this one, uh, you know, rankings aside, this is my favorite season finale of, of all time that I've ever seen in anything. And that would be, uh, the season finale to season one of Lost Exodus parts one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, now if you've watched all of Lost and you know the answers to all the things that I'm going to say, I want you to pretend that you don't. And remember how freaking exciting this was when all these things that I'm going to say were mysteries. The French woman, Rousseau, another one of my favorite moments in all of TV history was when they intercepted that transmission. They had the walkie-talkie working, and they, they found a transmission that had been playing in French over and over again for 14 years. The sinking feeling of just fear and wow, this is weird that I got from that. Anyway, the French woman who laid, who made that, me- that message was a woman named, uh, Rousseau. She shows up at the survivors camp and says that the others are coming and they're gonna, cu- they're gonna kill folks, like for reals. They're gonna kill everybody. So we've got three factions of people, um, trying to get the F out of Dodge. You've got Saeed and his crew who are, ch- who think that chilling out in these caves that they found are the, is the way to go. Then you've got Michael, Walt, Jin, and Sawyer who have been working on building a raft to get the F out of Dodge. And then you have Jack, Kate, Hurley, and Locke, and some teacher named Arst, who want to blow up this mysterious hatch and hide everyone inside there. Rousseau joins up with these guys, and they head over to Black Rock, which is a, a big-ass boat uh, that washed up ashore, except it's several miles inland, so another awesome mystery of the island, uh, <laughs> which wasn't really all that interesting later. Um, they go over there to get dynamite that's inside of there, and oh Arst God. blows up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about this teacher. It's the demise. reddest red shirt in yeah. history. Like he's, we didn't know anything about that guy, and it didn't even matter. And he, on top of it, he was just a complete jerk. 
He was a complete jerk. And then he's given this really arrogant speech about nitroglycerin being dangerous while swinging his ticket diamond around. He blows the hell up. It's fantastic and hilarious because he was a twat. Uh, Charlie and Claire, um, uh, right before the others are on their way, apparently, uh, they decide to stay at the beach and, I don't know, wash the baby or something like that. And there's this whole weird subplot where Rousseau steals the baby, whatever, nobody cares. The big deals here are the raft and the hatch. So the raft successfully takes off. It's a huge success. Everybody's happy. They're dancing. They're singing. It's a good times had by all. And they sail into the night. But once it gets dark, they're encountered by a motorboat. And they're like, we've been saved. We did it. Hooray. And this scruffy looking dude on the boat says, uh, yeah, we're going to have to take the boy. And they're like, excuse me? And this is where we get, Walt! Walt! <laughs> this, uh, the hilarious. Michael, Walt's dad, uh, screams Walt's name a lot for the rest of his time on screen. So um, these dudes have, these dudes on the boats, they have a motorboat, they have lights, they have electricity, and they have automatic weapons. They shoot Sawyer, take Walt, and leave Jen and Michael floating in the water for dead after getting knocked overboard, and then they blow up the raft. Um, this was a hell of a mystery setup. Like, that scene, after that scene was over, was like, did they just fucking kill Sawyer? You don't kill Sawyer. I, <laughs> I want to know more nicknames. You don't kill Sawyer. Plus, this he's sexy was, as fuck. This was like the uh, Daryl Dixon of his time. Yes. Yeah, like, seriously. You can't yeah. kill Sawyer. You can't kill Sawyer. He was the, you're absolutely right. He was the Daryl Dixon of his time. But just the, the sheer mystery of that. They made it off the island. Like, now you always knew there was somebody else on the island. But these motherfuckers, they have technology. They have automatic weapons. But they look all scruffy and like filthy and whatnot. Yeah, and so, they have a motorboat, which means they can't have come from that far away. It wasn't like a friggin' ocean liner. Exactly, it was a motorboat. Like this was. I like the way you two are talking about this now, as if you're watching it. At, you know, coming up with the deductions <laughs> that you can. Well, Chris, <laughs> I remember it so well. Coming up with these deductions, and Chris said to pretend like we didn't know the answers. Okay, sorry, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I wasn't playing along. My bad. <laughs> So that was thing number one, but the big, the big gun, the reason we're here <laughs> is the hatch. The hatch, one of the coolest, most interesting things I've ever seen in a TV show is the season one hatch. It is important to recognize the allure of the hatch before we go any further. It's just a weird metal, unopenable hatch buried in the ground that Locke found in the woods. They dug around that whole bunch, uh, and it's just this huge freaking mystery. And at one point earlier in the season, uh, like there was no signs of life or anything coming out of the hatch. It's just like, here's a hatch. What's in this hatch? Who knows? We can't open it. Um, but, uh, John Locke is having this like series of like meltdowns or whatever. And he goes to the hatch. He's like begging for a sign. And then a light comes on inside of the hatch. And I remember going, Ooh, <laughs> there's something down there. There is definitely something down there. That was a light. He didn't imagine it. It's freaking real. So. <laughs> You guys, he's getting so animated. <laughs> we're 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 now at the this season finale, and they've got their dynamite. They're at the hatch. They're setting up the charges. Hurley gets close to the hatch, and like right before they're ready to blow it up, he sees four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two etched in the side of the hatch. These are the lottery numbers that Hurley played that ruined his life. And he basically thinks are completely, they're, they're cursed. 
And somehow these numbers are etched in the side of this hatch. And he turns around and he freaks the fuck out. He's like, no, don't blow it up. Don't blow Don't do it. And then Locke is just, he's completely set on doing this. And he blows up the hatch. And this, the episode ends with them looking down the hatch. It's, and the camera just pans down, looking at them. And just keeps panning down, panning down, getting further and further. The hatch just keeps going down and down. And that's the end of the episode. Holy <laughs> shit. I could not wait to see what was next. Unfortunately, I didn't have to because I wasn't watching this live at this point. I started watching live like midway through season two, I think. Or like around the break between seasons two and three. Because uh, I was renting. I was pulling these DVDs home from Hollywood Video at the time. <laughs> and... Uh, the the following episode is also my favorite season premiere of all time, like by far, uh, the, the, that opening. But this closing sequence, I can't even imagine how freaking crazy I would have been waiting for this to come back after that. Like, what the hell is down the hatch? What is down that hatch? It's so interesting. And they, uh, this show so masterfully built that mystery. It's just masterfully I remember built when, when I did the same thing as you did. I rented, well, I, I was working for Hollywood Video at the same time as well. It's just back before I we, I came up to Union City. So I was at the Booten location. And I was still in Brooklyn at the and time. And I, you know, would take a couple of, you know, discs home. And I'd sit there and watch them until I had to go back the next day, return it, take another disc or whatever I felt I could finish. And I remembered that I had worked the morning shift, came Got home mid-afternoon, early evening, and threw the DVD in, started watching whatever discs I had. I got to this episode at 12.42, okay? Now, store closed at midnight. I, this is, this is how badly I needed to see how this, this started. At this point in time, I did not have a car. I had to walk a mile. From my house to the store, unlock the store because at this point there were no employees left. Take, return my DVDs, take out two more, and walk all the way home so that I can start the next ep- next season. It was that <laughs> bad. <laughs> Such a good show. Yes. Sort of. <laughs> sort I mean, of let us down I... at the end, but that's fine. I enjoyed the show through to the end, but this show is like an exercise in caution because they had some things mapped out. Like this, this, this show is such, such a victim of a lot of circumstances. Thing number one, they wrote way more mysteries than they had answers for to begin with. Thing number two, the answers that they did have got spoiled by, um, one, the, uh, the writer strike happened during this show and two, ABC was like, oh no, you, this show's staying on for a long time. And mm-hmm. they're like, really? Cause, uh, we kind of have an ending worked out and we're kind of ready to stop. And they're like, no, you're going to keep doing this until we tell you to stop. And that's how we got shit like Jack's tattoo. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like, that's how we got all those little story arcs like that that didn't really and, make sense. And never and, let us forget this is also how we got, we gotta go back. We gotta go back. <laughs> oh God. Um, Oh, it's painful but, to think about now. <laughs> you know, the the mysteries that all these mysteries here that were so incredibly interesting to me, 
Like, I was never satisfied with what the smoke monster was. I was not satisfied with that at all. Um, I, I was not satisfied with the character on the boat with the beard who the beard was glued on. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> they, they never really explained any rational way to make that make any sense. But even the mystery of that was interesting when Jack, like, he's in that compound where the others were and, like, he walks in, there's, like, spirit gum and a freaking beard laying there and then the dude on the boat comes out all clean shaven and they're like what in the world is going on right now and it was interesting and then they just kind of left it there it's like ah we like to play dress up screw up people it's a good time That's, what 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 Ugh. but man thinking back to this show in its heyday is nothing nothing has been quite like it ever since like the closest you've got is like walking dead and game of thrones but like Game of Thrones. As far as like being a television phenomenon. Yeah, as far Mm -hmm. as being a television phenomenon, but none of those things are like, you know, we're not talking theories in these shows like that. Not, not the way that we were talking with Lost. And I think that's kind of Lost's fault because so many people were so invested in this and so like, you know, spent so much time and so much energy trying to figure this shit out. And then it got to the end and they were like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, they, and they, who they, wants to invest <laughs> in that much thought into anything anymore? If once the you know, once we realized, oh, they can just not answer anything they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can burn us. Is what they they did. Yeah, such a shame. What right. a great finale! Yes, great great season finale. Um, all right, Karen, <laughs> wrap us up. I'll do my best. Uh, there are two kinds of season finales in this world. Uh, there are the kind that are cliffhangers, and there are kind the kind where, holy shit, just all of the stuff happens, and it's like truly a finale. It's a culmination of all this stuff that's been building in a season, and this this one is is the latter, and it is also not only a great season finale, it is one of my all-time favorite episodes of television ever. Certainly my favorite episode of this show. And if you don't know what I'm about to talk about, then you don't know me very well. I'm talking about Dallas. Doctor Who. Oh, wait. <laughs> season 5, <laughs> episode 13, The Big Bang. Whenever I am in a bad mood and I need something to bring me out of it, I watch the Pandorica <laughs> Opens and The Big Bang and everything is right with the world. And I won't talk about the Pandorica because technically that's not the fa- finale, but it, you know it is a part one of a part of a two part. Um, <laughs> it's all you need to know about that is that basically every bad guy the Doctor ever faced all banded together to throw the Doctor into this like prison that he can't ever break out of, and they're going to save the universe by imprisoning the Doctor. Um, the Pandorica is. Buried beneath Stonehenge, and the time that they lure him to is a 102 AD during the Roman Empire. Um, Rory was dead, but came back as a, um, it's, they don't really say it, but he's an auton. He's a plastic, uh, duplicate. Mm-hmm. And he has accidentally killed Amy because he can't control, like, certain automatic things in his body. So he kills Amy. And River is trapped in the TARDIS. Something is wrong. She's in danger. And that's where this finale picks up. Oh, so like everything's fucked. And that's where that's where the cliffhanger is. It was like the episode before they're like gonna stick you with a cliffhanger, but only give it to you for a week. 
So the first thing you get to see is the doctor, like, like Rory's weeping over Amy's dead body. And then the doctor appears carrying a mop and wearing a fez. <laughs> like, fezes are cool. Out of, like, clear blue space. <laughs> and, and explains to Rory, like, everything's going to fi- be fine. This is what you need to do. Gives him a bunch of instructions and disappears again. <laughs> and Rory's like, what? <laughs> He's just gone. Then we get to see young Amy. Um, we see like what her life is like if the doctor never appeared. Um, and she's living with her aunt and she's got this therapist and she's talking about like stars, but in this reality, stars don't exist and like you're crazy, little Amy. And then she gets like a little thing in her mail slot telling her to go to the museum and see the Pandorica. So she drags her aunt there and they go and she she hides until after the museum closes and um, touches the Pandora and it opens and there's Amy inside of it. Like, current Amy. And she, like, comes out and she goes, okay, kid. This is where it gets weird. <laughs> and you're like, wait, fucking this is where it gets weird? Isn't that like the opening credits? Like, yes. Start right and then that? Exactly. That <laughs> is like, the cold open. Okay, show. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> So Amy finds out about the whole last, last centurion thing, which is that, you know, the last time we saw Rory, he was dressed as a Roman centurion and he was a plastic person. <laughs> so apparently he stuck around for 2000 years and guarded this box to make sure that because he knows Amy was inside and he kept her safe. And uh, but he's like become this sort of uh, urban legend. Uh, so the doctor pops back up um, They they're. There's a Dalek in the museum and it's like inactive, but when the Pandorica opens, there's light inside of it. It touches the Dalek. The Dalek activates again and it starts chasing Amy or both Amy's, but the doctor shows up and then Rory shows up and they, they get away from the Dalek and everything's fine. Um, it's, it's a, ve- it's a very weakened Dalek. So they're able to. Wasn't it like rock or something? It was like, or destroyed? It's like slowly disintegrating because like everything we find out, it's like everything in the universe is, the universe is collapsing and everything that used to exist is like dying and the earth is at the center of the whole cat- catastrophe. So it's like the last light in the universe to go out. Gotcha. Um, and it is. And we also find out that the reason that it's collapsing is because the TARDIS is exploding. Uh, well, last time we saw River, she was in the TARDIS, and the TARDIS trapped her in a time loop, the, the like five seconds before the explosion. So that's a really cool thing we get to see, where like she's like messing with the controls and trying to get the door open, and then like she says, "I'm sorry, my love," and then the loop starts over again. And this is what that something that TARDIS has done to like save her from being killed by the explosion. So the Doctor has River's vortex manipulator, which they get a lot of comedy out of. That's how he was able to like pop into Roman times and tell Rory what to do and all this stuff. So he gets into the TARDIS and he saves River, and they're bickering like an old married couple. And <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the history of anything is, what in the name of sanity have you got on your head? <laughs> and then the Dalek shows up again and they have to run again and get chased and all of this. Um, so 
the when the doctor sh- when the Dalek shows up again, the doctor figures out that it's the light from the Pandorica that's bringing this thing back. And if it could bring back the Dalek, why couldn't it bring back the whole universe? It doesn't make any sense. Just don't pay attention to it. <laughs> it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Look over there. Um. So the doctor like rigs something, and he's gonna get in the Pandorica and fly it into the explosion of the TARDIS, and that's gonna reboot the universe. And he has this touching scene with Amy and like, what's going to happen? He's like, I won't, you know, you, none of you will remember me, but all your lives will go back to normal and everything will be fine and the world, the universe will be saved. Um, so he does this big heroic thing and, uh, then we get like a weird little series of flashbacks where the doctor's like kind of rewinding through at least this regeneration of him that we've seen and everything he's done with Amy. And, you know, he plants these little seeds that you don't really realize are seeds at the time. They're just cute little scenes. Um, there's a brilliant thing that um, addresses something incongruous in the uh, Angels episode. Oh, that was such a... So genius. Didn't even realize it at the time. Yeah. And then I like, went back and watched it. I was like, wait a minute, he is wearing a different outfit. What the... It was you- the jacket. He was not wearing the jacket, and then he was wearing the jacket, and he was, like, saying all this weird stuff that didn't make sense, because it was, like, it that timeline was from this episode, when the stuff that didn't make sense. So cool and so smart. And so he eventually, like, he's like, I'm going to stop these repeats and just, you know, go back through the crack in the wall, which is where the whole explosion thing started, and once he goes back through, everything will, that's the end of it. Uh, and so then you see Amy wake up in the morning, uh, the morning after the night she originally ran away with the doctor, which is her wedding day. And her parents are there. Her parents were dead or gone or something. They never really explained what happened to her parents, but they're there. And she's going to get married and everything is like, just like he said, everything is going to be fine, but she still feels like something's wrong and talks to Rory and. <laughs> she's she's like focused on this like what what are we missing there's something missing and he's like yeah i know what you mean and she's like you're just saying that because you're scared of me and he's like "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh so they go you know they had the wedding and you know they're married and everything's fine and happy and then um they get uh as a wedding gift river's journal which has nothing written in it now and for some reason, this trigger triggers her. She starts to see all these things. Somebody sitting in the wedding has like suspenders. Another somebody's wearing a bow tie, and like just all these different things uh, remind her of the doctor. She suddenly remembers, "Holy shit, we forgot the doctor! How did we forget the doctor?" And she gives this amazing speech, which concludes with, "Raggedy man, I remember you, and you are late for my wedding." <laughs> and the fucking TARDIS materializes in the middle of the reception hall and she like goes up to it he opens the door he's like did I surprise you and he's like yeah I totally didn't expect it that's why I'm wearing this tux <laughs> <laughs> he moves the TARDIS they have like a joyous like dance scene in the reception where everybody's happy and they're dancing the drunk giraffe which is the the actual name of that silly dance that the doctor does with all the kids at the wedding reception look it up (laughs) there's a book that tells you how to do the drunk giraffe google it and then doctor tries to leave like rory he's like 
because the whole point of this whole thing was not only to save the universe, but like to leave Amy and Rory to their happy married life. So he kind of tries to slip away and like he's there to make sure they're okay and they're happy. But then he's like, I'm going to leave you alone and go. And he runs into River and they have like an enigmatic conversation, which is sort of the start of all that like Dr. River um you know, myth arc where it's like, you know, are you married? And there's all this like cute, clever wordplay between them uh, that sets up their complicated relationship. And then you see Amy and Rory sh- show up and they're like, you're not leaving without this. The only thing that's changing now is that now that I'm married, I'm bringing my husband with me. And they all take off together and it's, they all live happily ever after. <laughs> I don't know. There's Aww. so much stuff in this episode, and I just love every single minute of it. That I, I do like the way that you, you, at the very beginning, you bring up the fact that there are two types of, you know, finales: the the wrap up or the cliffhanger. Uh-huh. And this is the perfect example of the wrap up. Yeah. Where it ties up every well, f- for as much as Doctor Who does, ties up all of the strings. And and makes you feel good to 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 go into that that break. Yeah, it sets you know it saying? sets up a little bit like with the river stuff because there was a lot of river stuff in season six. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it's all about wrapping up the story. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. All right, um, I think that about wraps us up. Let's let's see if I can remember. All right, we talked about Danger Mouse. Heck yeah. Okay. We t- I talked about Powers, which I enjoyed very much. I say yes. Uh, Grace and Frankie. Watch this show. Uh, all right. Let's see if I can. I'll do my three. It was How I Met Your Mother, Angel, and Sherlock. These are all shows that you should watch. Uh, Sherlock especially. Um, Angel is, a, is, is very much worth the watch. Um, How I Met Your Mother is one of those types of shows you could put on in the background and just just let it run. Just pop in every once in a while and enjoy it. Chris, you're, you had Lost. What else do you have? Chuck, Chuck and the Simpsons. Chuck and the Simpsons. Those are all, I mean, those are all top-notch television shows, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can't get anything wrong. Karen, we have Doctor Who. The Office and Buffy. Office and Buffy. I, I we didn't talk about a bad show this week. Nope. I, I, mean, I think nope. we did a very good job. Go to you. All right, Chris, wrap us up. You can get in touch with us at mail at geekade.com as well as all flavors of social media that we inhabit. You can like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram at Geekade, subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels for all our latest video content, and follow us on Twitter at the underscore Geekade. Or follow the show specifically at Twepcast. You can find us individually on the Twitterverse. I am at Geekade Chris. That's Geekade K-R-I-S. Evan is at Geekade underscore Evan. And Karen is at Shoot underscore the underscore moon. If you're interested in more information about anything we discussed tonight, be sure to check out our show notes. And while you're at it, you can also subscribe to this and any of our other wonderful podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. Or if you're super nice, you can leave us a review because any and all feedback is welcome and appreciated. Again, always remember to keep your eyes on geekade.com where we post something new every single day. Back to you, Evan. Beautiful, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, Listen, people, a number of shows are coming to their season finales or ending and whatnot, so we're going to have some time. Uh, 
tell us what you want us to talk about. Do you want us, to, us first to do a, a main show topic where we just pick one show and talk the whole episode about it? Are there shows that we haven't spoken about that you feel that we should? Did we not watch it? Tell us to watch it. Hit us up on the emails, on the Facebooks, on the Twitters. Let us know what you think, what we should do. Give us some direction. Um, so that's about it, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. From all of us here at this week's episode, I'm Evan. I'm Karen. Oh, crumbs. Good night. It was really, really good. Good. Especially Chris Evans' arms. <laughs> he, he, he brought you to the gun show, did he? <laughs> there was a scene where Winter Soldier was taken off in a helicopter, and he's chasing after it, and he jumps up, and he grabs onto it, and he pulls the helicopter back down to the landing pad. With the power of his biceps. With the power of amazing. his. I saw, I saw that, and then I, I don't know what I was watching. It, I don't think it was a trailer. I think it was just something cut up for like Facebook or something, where it goes from that scene to the scene where uh, Paul Rudd is like, like touching his shoulders and his pecs, and he's like, "Damn." Yes. <laughs> Paul Rudd is right. <laughs> Damn. This, this next line is painful to me. <clears throat> much like Matt himself, it's <clears throat> much more than meets the eye. Be sure to read 24 Holes of Fame on the... Ha-ha. <laughs> Be sure to read 24 Holes... <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why do I have to... Jesus, Evan. I can edit this shit. You'd think I'd be better at it. And this concludes our broadcast day.